Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey guys, Andy Baldacci here, back with episode number 19 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. This week, I'm talking with Ryan Wagner of MobileCTO.io in Let's Make Apps. This interview is a bit different than my others. Instead of focusing on more tactics and strategies that you can apply to grow a more successful agency, Ryan and I sort of take a step back to look at the mindset it actually takes to grow a successful agency and whether or not an agency is even the best path for you. Ryan stayed solo, but that doesn't mean he's small. For the past four years, he's earned over $250,000 in profit every single year, and today he shares some mindset to help him get there, the routines he builds into his day to ensure growth, and the questions every agency owner needs to ask themselves before they make that next hire. If running an agency didn't lead you to skyrocketing earnings like you expected, then this episode is sure to set you straight. So without further ado, here's Ryan. So, Ryan, thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. You have an interesting background. It's a little bit different than a lot of the people we've had on the show. You're a solo freelancer, consultant, and intentionally so. You don't have the big dreams of, of starting a large agency. Do you mind if we, we start and, and kind of hear a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today? Sure. So, um, I started programming when I was a kid and I kind of did it throughout high school um, I was actually in the Navy after high school and got out, went back to school for business, not computer science, because I was interested in um, in basically the intersection of technology and business. And a lot of the people I knew um, in computer science were just maybe a little bit less adept at the business side of things. Um, and so I went to school for business, I graduated, and I moved to San Francisco. Uh, and I worked as a product manager uh, for about a year, which was an, a really good role because it a product manager's job, um, among other things, is kind of a translation between the tech people and the design people and the business people. And so you get, uh, you, in order to be good at it, you really need to kind of understand those functions really well and and be able to do, uh, you know, translation and, and, and counseling, basically, relationship counseling between them. So it was a great role and I enjoyed it. Um, but I left to do freelance web development um, just because I found that I could make more and I enjoyed the the flexibility a little bit more uh, and my skill set that I had of being able to understand the business side and the technology side was really helpful to the the types of clients that I started working with. So that's how I got started. That was about almost nine years ago. All right. And so when you started out, was it so much as just like, all right, I'm going to charge $50 an hour, $100 an hour or whatever, and just is the money to start pouring in or, or what, what was that like? Like how did you first get those few clients? What was the experience like? Sure. So um, I, I mean, I got my first few clients off of like freelance job boards and I actually did that for many years. Um, we could talk about that in more depth, but I have had a lot of success um, building out methods for getting uh, clients from freelance job boards and Craigslist even. Um, and when I say a lot of success, I mean hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of the, the nine years that I've been doing this. Um, and that's kind of where my first clients came from. I originally I was charging hourly. I charged fifty bucks an hour. I think um, on my first project or two, I started raising that pretty quickly. And um, within the first few years, I stopped charging hourly. Um, and I haven't charged hourly in years. We could talk about that too. But that's kind of how I got started, and uh, it was not easy. Like my wife and I actually both quit our jobs the same week to freelance. Um, and in San Francisco, cost of living wasn't quite as bad. 
uh, back then as it is now. But we definitely had a an adjustment period where we were still figuring it out. And um, from you know 2007 to 2009, maybe 2010, uh, we definitely were kind of like barely making it. And you know the whole like, how should I quit this and go back and get a job and so forth. But we stuck it out. And um, yeah, the last few years have been a lot better. So. What what was the turning point for that? Because I know a lot of people kind of have that same. They're at that point where they're like, "All right, we're we're scraping by. We know we could be doing better." But what for you really got you through that kind of plateau and turned it into something that was actually lucrative? So, I mean, I wish you could say it's like just this one weird trick, and then uh, <laughs> and then like the money will roll in. But I don't know that it was one thing in particular. I think um, my big takeaway for most freelancers is that you are probably uh good enough with your technical skill to be a freelancer but that has little to do with the success of of freelancers um in general most freelancers i think who struggle struggle not because like they're not good enough designers or developers or whatever uh it's because they're not good at the business of freelance at the sales and marketing um they're not good at client management they're not good at uh, managing themselves um i think time management is a huge piece of it and for me um i think self-discipline, which is kind of a a corny phrase, (laughs) but was a big part of it. So um, just getting to the point where I had really well-defined and consistent routines around hustling for work, like every single day, like get up every day knowing that like I have to go out and I have to find a client, obviously not finding a new client every day, but just hustling every day for work and to get that work done and to get paid for it. And then go on to the next thing. And never really like kind of resting on my laurels. I think for the first few years, I was waiting for this moment whenever things would like, you know, be humming along and like everything is working. And now I can kind of relax a little. And I I definitely like pulled the trigger too early, I guess, in some sense on like that kind of relaxation. Because my, sen- my, my belief now is basically that if you're a freelancer or a consultant, or you work for yourself in any way, in any capacity... The default is you're not going to get paid. You're not going to get the next client, et cetera. Like you have to work for it every day. Whereas, you know, with a job, obviously there's not, we don't have job security. The vast majority of people don't have job security like they once did, you know, 50 years ago. Um, But the default is still that like tomorrow, like you're going to get, you're going to come into work and you're going to get paid. Um, With client relationships, even like recurring client relationships, you know, it's probably not going to last forever. There's just a natural churn um, to those things that I think is just different. So you really have to be, your outlook really has to be, um, you know, I'm, I've got to get out there and hustle every day. And I, th- I hadn't thought of it in that way of when you have a job, right. You, everyone talks about how, Oh, job security is gone. This and that, and, and it has changed, but at the same point, it's still, you don't have to actively go out every single day and hustle to get your paycheck. If you've got a job, if you can expect it until, or if like you get fired, that's the end of it. But the average day, you're not out there trying to convince your boss to pay you. Whereas when you're out on your own, you have to. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even employers look at this differently. So, you know, you think about like a company that's doing layoffs or they're going to fire somebody. Like, I understand that some people might feel that they don't take it as seriously as they should, but they do take it seriously in comparison with like, we're not going to have this freelancer do another project. I don't think anybody feels bad for not having, you know, a designer that they use occasionally not do their next project because the the understanding is that the relationship is temporary and that you shouldn't expect it to continue indefinitely as a freelancer. So just, you know, it's just a 
mentality difference. And I think that to be good at freelancing, you really, you just need to be aware of that. Not that you should always be frantic or that you should have fear about, you know, where your next client is going to come from. Like eventually you should get to the point where you don't really worry. I mean, I don't worry today about whether or not I'm going to get more clients or whether or not I'm going to be able to pay the bills. Like I have a very healthy pipeline. But, it, but you didn't get there by accident. I didn't get there by accident and I don't stay, it doesn't stay healthy unless I keep working on it. So, right. you know, every day, every week, every month, I'm thinking about like, okay, like how do I make this business better? How do I close, how do I get more leads? How do I close more deals? Um, how do I get higher margin deals, et cetera? Right. And to give listeners kind of a little bit of an insight to the fact that you are, you have been very successful with this, you, you published a, a uh, kind of PDF that's titled "My First Million from Freelance." So you you've done well to say the least. And how how well roughly have you been doing over the past few years? What is your typical average in, in income? Yeah, sure. So I don't actually publish my uh, my annual income, but I do say that um, over the last few years, I've consistently made at least two hundred fifty thousand dollars in net profit. Um, and I'm a solo consultant. I have a I do have a junior developer that I've had for. I think a little less than a year um, who helps me with, with some of my projects, mainly like project setup and like final QA stuff. Um, and we can, we'll talk a lot more about this, I'm sure. But um, it, my business is something that I could do entirely by myself if I wanted to. So I, um, it's not, so I don't, I don't have another person helping me so that I can take on more work. Let's put it that way. Right. Exactly. No, that makes sense. And so, yeah, you went from starting out charging $50 an hour and kind of like you said, scraping by a bit. And so now you're doing over 250 grand a year. And I know looking over the, the kind of essay you, you published, there's, you cover a lot of the lessons you learned, but one that you touched on, I think is super important is, is how you're able to just simply get more done than most people. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, I mean, I've read, I don't have it in front of me, but I've read stuff about how the average office worker works like 15 hours a year. Um, and uh, you know, I think the vast majority of freelancers, if they're not tracking every minute of their day, um, you know, for the, over the course of a month, let's say, uh, I think they'd be pretty surprised to see how little they actually work. Um, and if they are working a lot, they're probably not, they're often, let's say, not very effective. Like if you're putting in a lot of hours um, in something that's pretty cognitively demanding, you may not be super effective with it. There's a lot of diminishing returns in terms of your mental um, energy and willpower and so forth. So, um, I mean, I have a long list of like kind of little things that I do that um, I feel like are really helpful to me in terms of um, getting things done. Tracking um, is really important to me. So I use rescue time um, to track just my time and, and how I'm spending it and how productive it is. I guess to, to back up a little bit, sure. let's just start with how do you generally kind of structure your day? I'm sure there's, we'll, we'll get into the details, yeah. but like what does a typical day kind of from a high level look like? Sure. How deliberate about that are you? So from a high level perspective, I think that the vast, like the most important thing that I do in terms of managing my time is get up early. And I would actually back that up one step. And for me, this is for me personally, and say that the most important thing I do is to go to bed early because I have a hard time. I'm a night owl. Like I'm a very much a natural night owl. Like I stay up until two or three in the morning every night if it's if it's totally up to me and I have no constraints. Um, and that is a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. Obviously, everybody's different. Some people, um, you know, they have a situation where that's totally workable for them. But uh, I'm married. I have a child. And, um, I have a social life and it's just, I don't know, trying to fit that stuff, uh, in with, 
with consulting, um, it just works best for me to get up early and it's easy to get up early if you go to bed early. How early is early? I get up at 4.30 currently. So really early in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten up at four, um, you know, at times in the past, like for long stretches. Um, but I, I get up at 4.30 now and I just want to be clear in case my wife is listening to this because she'll call me out that I don't get up at 4.30 every day. Um, I would say in mm-hmm. a given week, I probably get up four work days um, that early. It just depends. You know, if we have something going on that keeps me up late, like I'll sleep in that day. But I try for the default to be that I'm going to go to bed early and get up early. No, and that's something I've heard so many people talk about as being really important is having a strong mm-hmm. kind of morning routine that's rooted in getting up early. And I'm similar to you in that, like, naturally I am a night owl. And like we were saying before we started recording, it's like I was a professional online poker player for eight years. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't really, like, lend itself to have, like, a normal sleep schedule because you don't have to wake up. Like, no one's playing poker at 8 in the morning. <laughs> and right. so, like, at my normal hours, I'd go to bed at 2 or 3 a.m., wake up 10 would be a good day, I guess, but it wasn't planned. It was just kind of, it'd be like seven or eight hours after I went to sleep whenever that ended up. But it's like, why do you think it is that waking up early is so much more important? Like, why couldn't you just kind of shift? Are you not awake for more hours? Like, why does it work that way? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's an excellent question. I've spent some time thinking about this. Um, so I said that I, you know, for me, the most important thing for me to focus on is to go to bed early. And that's because I'm not like getting up early isn't that you're sleeping less. I'm sure there are like rock stars out there who sleep four hours a night, but that's not me. Like I sleep seven to eight hours a night. Um, so it's not that I, you're right. It's not that I'm awake for more hours. It's just when the hours are. And I think that the answer to why it's better, um, is a couple of things. One, there's a huge psychological boost in my opinion to, um, to having time in the day whenever you're alone, whenever it's quiet and obviously, you can get that time late at night too. But for me, there's a benefit in knowing that um, I'm ahead of the curve. I'm not – and I guess like – I mean I guess you could theoretically get one day ahead and at night you could be working on stuff for the next day. But my – from what I've seen both myself and other people, that's often not the case. It's easier I think to just you're, – you're, you're up early. You have stuff that needs to get done today and you're getting it done. So that's that's one answer. But I think the more important answer is is a little bit related, which is that – I have a lot of stuff in my life that I want to get done. Um, Client work doesn't fall into this, but that I want to get done, but that nobody else really cares if I get done. So I write essays for freelancers, for example, about freelance. And I'm sure my audience, you know, loves it and they can't wait to get the next one. But, you know, getting to the point where I, I have an audience and kind of building that up is something that you have to kind of be proactive about. Like there's not a client saying like, hey, like when's the next you know, like when are you going to write an article for me or whatever? I and mean, this may not be the best example, but um, just anything in your life that is important to you, but to nobody else, um, you know, changes that you want to make in your life, um, whatever it is, the morning, early morning is such a great time to do that because you have this psychological feeling of space where you have plenty of time in the day to get done the things that other people are going to bug you about. Like those things are going to get done. Client work's going to get done because my clients are going to email me if it doesn't. And I, you know, that's in my mind. So it's going to get done. But me writing this 2000 word essay on value-based pricing, like that might not get done if I don't do it now, because the day is just too hectic. There's things pinging me. All this client work has to get done. So in my view to make like the morning, the early morning is just such a great time to like make the kinds of changes in your life that you want to like the best version of you wants to make. Mm-hmm. Does that make no, sense? and I think that's that's something like I've kind of 
over the past, not for very long, but over the past few weeks when a lot of, like, I just kept hearing this and hearing this from everybody. And I did sort of what, what you're talking about. Was I, I kind of took a step back and was like, wow, like, I feel like I'm busy all day. But when I look at, like, what I've done, it really just hasn't been that much. And I was kind of tired of almost feeling like I was treading water with that. And so I did make a conscious effort to start waking up earlier. And for me, it used to be like our, our daily stand-up is at 9.30. And so, like, I'd get up at 9. And I'd be like, and that was, honestly, like, it wasn't super easy for me at first. But, like, I got used to that. So now, though, I've been pushing it back to 8 into 7. And it I, I get what you're saying. I can't logically fully wrap my head around exactly why it works that way but getting up at that time and just putting in even just an hour or two of kind of my own projects lets me just get it out of the way because it's like i if i'm getting paid to do something i'm not gonna like slack on it. i'm not gonna wait till the last second and just barely get it done or let it go without being finished but for my own thing if no one's paying me for it then like it's a lot easier when you're tired it's like oh, i'll get to it later right Exactly. And then, and later it never comes. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, it's awesome that you're uh, kind of already seen the benefits of that. I would highly encourage you to just keep going with it. And, um, I mean, you know, I don't know how things work, um, there, but for me, like, um, I, I'll usually do some stuff in the morning for myself and then, and then also like daily habit stuff like journaling and, um, running and, uh, that kind of stuff. So I do all that stuff in the morning usually as well. And then ideally I kind of want to get an hour or two of client work in, especially like mm-hmm. anything that is kind of the most, uh, cognitively difficult stuff, the stuff that I need the most focus for the stuff that's, um, my most important task for the day, whatever that is, because, you know, I hit nine or 10 o'clock and the feeling of like having all the, like have, you've already had a really productive day at that point. You're going to get more done that day than most people will all day Um, because they're going to be behind. They're going to be like, you know, just dealing with email and meetings and phone calls all day long. And they're not going to have like that stretch of several hours to sit down and really work on something more thoughtfully. So, yeah, no, and that makes perfect sense. But I guess one thing I'm curious about is like another thing I struggled with is like how to kind of structure how you actually get things done. Like, do you just sit down? It's like, all right, I'm going to write now. And then you write until you're done. Or like, how do you kind of make sure that you're more productive than the typical person during those hours that you're awake? Right. So, um, like a lot of other people, I use, uh, the Pomodoro method. And if you're not familiar, it's basically where you set a timer for a set period of time. Um, the original guy who came up with this used a 25 minute timer. Um, or he said he would put 25 minutes on the timer and then take a five minute break. Uh, and then just rinse and repeat. Um, I, it depends on kind of what I'm doing. I often do a, do a 45 minutes of focus time and then a 15 minute break. Um, just because some of the tasks I work on, it's a little bit hard to get into the flow state in, um, by the time I do like the timer goes off. But the Mm -hmm. idea is like you have some short burst of time. Um, and it really does make a difference. I have a hard time articulating why, but I think it's just, over time, I think it's um, just a form of like learned behavior. Like you set the timer and then you start working on whatever it is, the thing is that you wrote down you were going to work on for that period of time. And, you know, if it's 25 minutes, like you should be able to work on whatever it is for 25 minutes. It's not that it's not it doesn't feel overwhelming as opposed to like, well, right. I'm going to start this thing. It's going to run indefinitely until I'm done. And that just feels so overwhelming that you just never get started. Um so that's one thing I do. Another thing that I do that I haven't heard a lot of other people talk about, but I found really helpful is I keep a momentum list. 
Um, so I have a list. It's not really a checklist. Um, okay. It's blank at the start of the day. Every time I do something productive, no matter how small it is, I write it down on that list. Um, and it's awesome actually to get to the afternoon and have like 20 things on that list. That's like, here's all the stuff that I did, whether it's like I emailed. Yeah. What would be an example of something? Like, yeah. It could be like I emailed somebody that I needed to email about, you know, whatever, some follow up thing. And usually I don't put like every single email. If it's, mm-hmm. you know, something that's like really trivial, I'll ignore it. But anything that feels like a substantial improvement, you know, I worked on this particular project for this client. Um, I checked in with whoever about like the status of like those design files. I went for a run. I also, and it's a, it's a total mix. It's not like only work stuff or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. just anything that I did that I feel good about doing for that day, no matter how small I put it on that list. And I feel like it really, one, it actually is really, um, you know, you know that feeling that you get whenever you check something off your list. Um, right, you're even just writing something down just so you can check it off. Exactly, and this <laughs> and this is basically it's a little bit like that in the sense that um, you know I'm doing stuff throughout the day that I maybe didn't have explicitly on a list, and instead of like writing it down, I just uh, and then checking it off. Like this is basically just my momentum list of of all the stuff that hmm. I did throughout the day. And I where'd you come across that? You know, I am not sure. I I I'm really not sure. I sure I read something about it, and it was probably like. A, you know, a, an amalgamation of several things, but right. this is one of the few things that I do that I haven't heard a lot of other people <laughs> mention. So, um, yeah, I would encourage people to, to give it a try. And I use paper. I love, I love paper. So, um, like in the morning I'll sketch out like what, you know, what are kind of my three most important tasks of the day. And then on the other side of the piece of paper, I'll, I'll have my momentum list and, um, that kind of stuff. So that's one of the hardest things for me, um, uh, since like, I love paper. It's like I've, I kind of gave in and bought a Kindle, but I'm only going to be using it for fiction books because like nonfiction books, like I write in them, I do everything. And like if I ever have a thought in my head, my first instinct is like grab my notebook and just write it down and just sketch it out and just figure it out. And so it's been like tough going to switching to like Google Docs for everything. And it's like the way I usually like brainstorm things is writing it out. And so at first I would just like – all right, guys, like, I'm just going to scan in my notes because, like, this is how I work. And so I've slowly been able to transition to typing it out. But it's just, like, if there's ever something where I'm, like, struggling a little bit, I have to just, like, write it down with, with like, physically with pen and paper. Yeah, I also, I mean, I, I definitely do kind of, like, I don't know, certain types of planning I do um, on paper, usually where it's, like, a bunch of, like, loose collections of ideas just so I can, you know, it's just, there's no structure that I have to stick with and I can kind of draw lines and circles and cross stuff out. And I like that. Um, I also do uh, this practice called morning pages, um, which was originally the the person who came up with it, which I forget the name of the book now. Um, But the book that it originally came from many years ago um, was basically like you write out three pages in longhand of just whatever's on your mind. It's pure stream of consciousness. Um, and I type them. I do 500 words every morning, um, because I can type a lot faster than I can write. And it is, it is like one of my favorite habits. Um, it's a habit. In fact, that I don't track anymore because I just do it every day. And I do it. It's truly a habit. Like, yeah, it's truly a habit. And it's also just something like I need to do. Like I just have all this stuff in my head and it's so helpful to, and I process things verbally. So it's really helpful just to like pound it out, whatever it is. And often it's just stuff about my business or I'm thinking about like finances for the next month or I mean, you know, travel I want to take, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. There's no rules. It's not for anybody else. I just, 
And so I just write that out really quickly um, in the mornings. And I find that to be really just getting it out of my head and onto, onto paper, quote unquote, um, is really uh, psychologically freeing in a way. Um, Cause I feel like, yeah, it's just, I kind of worked over it um, enough and now it's out of my head and I don't have to think about it for the rest of the day. So I, I would encourage people if they haven't done that before to give that a try as well. It's not journaling. Um, I, journaling, I feel like is like a record of what happened. And sometimes mm-hmm. I, I put stuff in there if that's what's on my mind, but it's just whatever, right. I'm, whatever I'm thinking about. But this is truly just kind of like a brain dump, like yeah, this is whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's messy and whatever, but who cares? Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, it's funny because these are the things that like I obsess about and like I, I think about it all the time, but it, it, I feel like a lot of people listening to this are like, well, like I get, like I could be more efficient. I could be doing this and that, but like, I don't care about the things because right now, like I need to make more money or I need more clients or I need to do this and that. So like, how do you think like, would you be able to charge the, the rates you are or at least handle as many clients that you do in projects as you do if you weren't as efficient? I don't think so, at least not without without it being a lot more stressful and a lot more damaging to my personal life. Um, I think that the value of the stuff that I'm talking about is really about what it does to um, kind of like your 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 mental health um, and your you know your mental state of mind, let's say, um, where you know, whenever I interact with a client after having had a productive morning, after having kind of like gotten a lot of these things that are like on my mind or stressing me out, out, um, after like having like a clear agenda for this is how I want to spend my day. Um, I think just being like thoughtful and proactive instead of frantic and reactive, um, you know, I think that has a direct effect on, the kind of work that you do and how productive you are. I also think it has a huge effect on the way that you deal with clients and the way that you deal with potential clients. Um, because I definitely, I mean, you know, I, I hire people for contract stuff from time to time and you know, you can just tell whenever somebody is like, they're struggling, they haven't figured this out. They, they just don't, it doesn't feel professional. It doesn't feel like they're, that you're going to be in good hands. Um, it feels like they're still kind of flailing about. And I, and honestly, I mean, I feel for them, but when I'm looking to hire somebody to get something done, I would much rather hire somebody who seems like they are calm and thoughtful and successful and they are in control of the situation and I'm going to get the value that I want um, from them. So No, that's actually like a, a point where uh, one of the other guests I had on, um, Nate McGuire, he, he has a agency called Code My Views where he's basically like um, he partners with big creative agencies and just handles – they give him the creative work and he builds a website or builds the app or whatever else. Like he's kind of like their outsourced backend or yeah, sort of like that. But, um, one thing he was saying, so I was asking him like how the agencies he's work, he works with, they deal with fortune 500 companies and huge companies. And for a lot of small or starting freelancers or small agencies, they're like, they, they can't even imagine how to start working with clients that even have like $10,000 budgets. They're so used to the mom and pop shops where uh, few thousand dollars on a website is a huge deal and what he said and i think is similar to what you're saying is that like having a process being professional and, and just basically yeah it comes down to being a professional and showing you know what you're doing you're not scattered all over the place that alone just lowers the risks from your client's perspective so much and is hugely important when they decide who they want to work with yeah that's totally i mean i think that's a, a really important point and i i often tell freelancers that 
like whether you realize it or not, whether they realize it or not, potential clients are pricing in risk whenever they consider your your budget. So if they think that there's a low likely, I mean, obviously if there's a, a low likelihood, they probably won't hire you. But, you know, like they're pricing like not just like whether or not you're going to deliver, but whether or not it's going to add the value that they need from this. And the more um, the more certainty that you can kind of offer them that uh, that you're going to solve the problem that they want solved, the more they'll be willing to pay because they're not, you know, because it's, it's very low risk in that sense uh, because they're not trying to buy a website and they're not trying to buy a mobile app or, you know, a new article or whatever. Like they're trying to buy, they're, they're basically trying to add value in some particular way. And if they feel very confident that you're going to be able to add that value, then they're going to be willing to pay quote unquote top dollar. I will also say that some clients just, I mean, you just shouldn't go after them because they just don't have the budgets. It doesn't matter. You know, nothing else matters. And and for me, I have always had a project minimum um, and I have raised it religiously over the years. And that really helps kind of weed out stuff where um, it's just not, there's going to be too much cognitive overhead. Um, even just for me to fully qualify this client or to get them to the point where I can give them a proposal. And then I find out, you know, like that they're, their budget is like a third of like what this is going to cost and so forth. So um, I've always had a project minimum and that has, has served me really well. Are you willing to say like what that project minimum is at least roughly right now? Today it's $20,000. Okay. How happy would you be with a $20,000 project minimum? It's not too bad, is it? We're going to take a quick break right now for our words from our sponsor, but don't go anywhere because when we come back in 30 seconds, Ryan's going to share the trap many agency owners fall for it and how you can avoid it. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees. Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, let's kick it back to Ryan. For a lot of agency owners, when they, they start out as freelancers, like that's almost a standard route. They start out as freelancers, they do good work, they land a few clients kind of almost by luck, and then they start growing. It's almost a snowball of referrals and they're like, hey, I don't want to turn these away, so I'll hire someone else. And they kind of just grow without much thought behind it. But a lot of them, too, is they, they grow because they think that's going to be the way that they're going to make a lot more money. But you've kind of shown that you don't have to start hiring a bunch of people and building a real agency to make a very good income. And so what what do you think it is that kind of – what are kind of the habits and mindset that let you make over a quarter million dollars as a solo consultant? So let me just say that there are like a lot of um – what I have to say about kind of the solo versus agency thing is, is personal decisions. That's going to be different for every person. Um, I've worked for a lot of agencies over the years um, and of all different sizes from, um, you know, a two or three person like small design shop up to like 
many thousands of employees and, you know, dozens of offices all over the world. And with few exceptions, the small agencies that I've worked with, like, you know, where they have less than 20 or 30 people, let's say, um, my sense has always been that the principals are probably not doing fantastically better than I am uh, financially, but they seem a lot more stressed. And so that, that was part of it for me. I just, I felt like I, I just didn't want uh, the burden of having to close $250,000 a month instead of $250,000 a year. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and otherwise like these people and their families are going to be in a bind. I just, you know, I, if you are the kind of person who that appeals to you, like that's amazing. And I'm glad that those people are out there, but I just, I just didn't want that stress. Um, whenever you're a solo uh, consultant, you know, it's pretty easy to fill up your, to fill up your plate, um, you know, two or three clients and you're good. Um, so I think that that's that, you know, and for me, like that was fine. So that was part of it. Um, especially in the early years where I just kind of felt, I don't know that I made a conscious decision. I just kind of, shied away from hiring more people. One of the things that you said is really interesting, which is that like they didn't want to turn those clients away. Um, I think that the best way to stay solo is to turn clients away. And the best way to turn clients away is to raise your prices. So if you have more clients than you can handle, like that's a clear signal from the market that you should be charging more. Mm -hmm. And I, somebody told me years ago that you should raise your prices after every project and don't stop until you can't find anybody to hire you anymore. And that's actually pretty good advice. Um, the problem with agencies is that they can they can take on more and more work at the same price just by hiring more staff. Mm -hmm. And and it's almost a kind of self fulfilling prophecy because they have more staff, they have more overhead, they have to pay that hundred thousand dollars a month, so they have to take on those other projects. Exactly, exactly. Um, if you make if you're a solo consultant and you're making a lot more than you necessarily need. Um, to survive, it's fine to turn down. And you have like, you know, you have a nice pipeline of leads coming in. You can turn down work all day until you find the projects at the right budgets or the clients that you really want to work with, or you can, you know, focus on a very particular niche and so forth. And you can do all those things as an agency too. I just think that the temptation of, you know, like, well, like we're busy, but we could hire another person and take this job too. Um, that's really tempting, especially if as an agency owner, you can, you know, you're thinking of I'm building this, this agency and that's, that's the real value here. So I think the, uh, the other thing is that, um, you know, the majority of, of small agencies in particular are probably going to have a hard time selling the business. Um, if the principal leaves oftentimes like a lot of the value in that business leaves. So, you know, unless you're going to try and build an agency that's pretty good size where you're not kind of running it day to day as the, you know, as the owner of the agency, um, you probably shouldn't think about the value of the business as being a big part of what you're doing. Um, and you should focus more on the income that you're, that you're building from the agency. Um, you know, these are just my observations. A lot of it is just, is personality based as much as anything else. Um, and, like I said, I don't think I made a conscious decision until a few years ago, which is when I started running into consultants, um, sometimes technology consultants, sometimes more on the business and strategic side, who were making you know high six, low seven figures um, as solo consultants, often like working from home. Um, and I, until that point, like I didn't even know that was possible. And that was, I think, the turning point for me because for my own situation, I just felt like that was ideal. Um, so.
Yeah, and because that's something though, it's like I, I just had a uh, Jason Swank on the show, just talked to him actually in the last episode, and one of the things he was saying is very similar: is that one most agencies never sell, and if they do, it's usually not for a profit, and so it's really about focusing on the cash flow. And what you're pretty much saying is that a lot of times the cash flow is going to be just as good, if not better. If you just stay solo and work on increasing your rates, providing more value and all of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, like once I kind of made the decision that this is what I'm going to focus on, I'm going to stay solo and I'm going to, I'm going to try and grow my business from here um, without adding staff. It really shifted my focus to ways that I could do that by being um, better in ways that I might have skipped over if I was just going to add more staff. Um, so thinking more deeply about my pricing, about the value that I'm adding, about, um, how to, how to pick a particular niche and focus on it. So, I mean, today I build iOS apps for, uh, mobile focused startups that have raised money. Um, and I help them build out like their first version and then, uh, transition to having an internal team if they can raise the next round. So that's like a pretty specific niche. And I think, you know, most agencies, certainly not all, but the vast majority of agencies that I see are way more generalist. And that probably makes sense as an agency because you can, you know, you have staff and, and so forth. It makes more sense. I still think they should probably niche down. But, um, you know, I may not have even thought about that to the degree that I did, except that I wanted to be able to, you know, make twice as much. And so how do you make twice as much if, um, you know, if you're not going to add any more staff? So, Okay. And I guess, well, my question would be then is like a lot of the reasons that the, sometimes the agencies get bigger, but profits stay low is because they're making some of these same mistakes that you realize and corrected. So it seems like with the lessons you've learned, you could build that agency that stays profitable and does get bigger. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably true. Um, and I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I, again, you know, I think to go back to what I said earlier, part of it is just personal in the sense that I'm not sure that I want just the stress of, um, of having like a lot of high fixed, um, payroll in particular, um, that I have to, to deal with every month. The other thing too, is that I, um, the work that I do with clients, I really love doing, including programming. Like I love talking with clients and doing all the consulting, type stuff, but I love coding as well. Like I've been coding since I was a kid and I really enjoy it. And the vast majority of agencies that I observe, the owners are not doing any hands-on work. They're managing. Um, and that's fine. I've done that in the past and I'm not opposed to it. And if that is what you want to do and how you want to spend your day, like that's great. But I really enjoy like, you know, being able to sit down for several hours and, um, just work on kind of one thing, and, you know, at the pace that I prefer without interruption. Um, and I, yeah, so I love the work itself. And I feel like if I was to build an agency, um, just by necessity, the, the majority of my time would not be spent on the work anymore. No, and I think honestly, like kind of listening to all, I think one, the struggles you've overcome as a freelancer, are a lot of the struggles that the agencies have when, when they grow, but, but so you could solve those. I'm pretty confident you could, I think you are too, but, it, but I think what you just said is really kind of the key of it is that you like doing the work. You you like, this is why you got into it and you don't want to become kind of a CEO managing all these other people having those responsibilities and those liabilities, even if you could do that. 
Yeah, especially, I mean, I don't know. I mean, especially at this point in my life. And also, I if I'm going to go down that road, I'm not sure that um, a service business is something I would, I, I think I would do a product business. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing a product business. And I think that that would make more sense um, if I was going to focus all my time on kind of building a firm instead of building a, a, a solo consultancy. Yeah, so let's talk about that a bit because that's something that a lot of agencies, it seems like everyone in the service kind of industry wants to have a product. So can you talk about yours a little bit and why, what led you there? Sure. So um, like I mentioned before, I you know, I got my first clients off of Craigslist and other freelance job board ads. And I, I did that for years um, and I worked out like a pretty robust system for keeping up on freelance leads from all over the web. Um and I, I mean, I had a lot of success from it in 2014, even Craigslist in 2014, I did a, a job for $107,000 that I got off of Craigslist. Um, and that is not unusual. I had multiple six figure clients over the years, um, that originally came from Craigslist. So I, and, and other sites, but primarily Craigslist, especially in the early years. Um, just, just quickly, what, sure. like what kind of client has that budget and post to Craigslist? Cause like, I have no idea. That's I, I'm not in the space enough to like, know like who, what type of clients would, would post those size projects there? I mean, a lot of businesses still use Craigslist, um, you know, the job boards and the, even the gigs section to post if they're looking for, you know, this, that, or the other, the, I think the key to using Craigslist and any other thing is to, is the key for all freelancers and all agencies as well, which is to not focus too much on that first sale. Um, that doesn't mean that you want to do like tiny jobs that are low margin or do work for free. Or anything no, never, like that. I mean, I never <laughs> work for free. Um, that's my personal opinion, but, um, but you know, just because you start with a five or $10,000 project with a client doesn't mean that that's going to be the end of it. And, and the reality is that you're going to have the best work you're ever going to get is almost always going to come from repeat business. Um, so I, I think that, I mean, this comes from Alan Weiss, who's like a um, an old school business management consultant. He's kind of like the the king of value pricing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But he has the he has this whole thing about think about the fourth sale first. Um, so whenever you think about the relationship, basically with the client that you're building, not about this immediate transaction that's on the table. Like, don't focus too heavily on that. Um, so you know, a very typical scenario would be that I would find somebody who needed something done that was, you know, in the $10,000 range, let's say sometimes less, especially in the early years. And that would go well, and they would just keep coming back. And then they would refer other people. And, you know, it just snowballs until you have like a really healthy, um, you have a really healthy system. Um, And I also... I am a lot more focused on the margin of projects than the dollar figure. So I do have a minimum, but I don't necessarily care. Um, and you know, as long as it's above that minimum, I'm much more focused on the margin. Uh, like I don't want an $80,000 project that is going to take, uh, you know, a ton a quarter of, or more. Yeah. yeah. Just take a ton of work and stress and whatever. Like I'm much more focused on, on situations where, my particular mix of skills means that I can add value in a way that's going to be advantageous for the client and advantageous for me because I'm not going to have to spend a ton of time or stress or whatever it is on it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so I, I kind of built out this system for myself, um, to go through like 
job boards and stuff all over the web. And last year, I launched it as a service. Um, it's free right now, actually. So every day we go through and we collect like 50 to 60 of the best freelance uh, design and development leads for web and mobile. What's it called? It's called letsmakeapps.io. All right, I'll get that linked up in the show notes. But so you kind of replicated the service that you used for yourself almost. Right, so we basically curate, we hand curate um, these leads, not algorithmic or anything. Like we actually have somebody that goes through and, and looks for job posts that look like they would be quality. Because the reality is that on Craigslist and every other site, like, there's just a lot of junk out there. And there's a lot of people who are looking for you know, bottom of the barrel or they seem like they would be terrible to work with or, you know, whatever it is. So we look for like things that look like they would be quality, that have decent budgets, that are remote. Um, we sort them all by category and then that goes out in an email every day. Like, is it, are they specifically for like mobile development? Is it any kind of development? Is it design or who? Sure. What, tip, what are the types of leads? Absolutely. So we originally were mobile only, which is why it's let's, let's make apps.io. Um, and we just basically had so many people that were like, hey, we want web too. So that's why it's web and mobile. So it's web and mobile um, design and development. So there's design stuff in there, UI, UX. Um, and then there's like, there's a lot of WordPress. Um, there's a lot of, like we get, we do Ruby and Rails and Python, um, the C Sharp stuff, a lot, of, a lot of mobile. So a lot of Android and iOS and a lot of the cross-platform mobile stuff. Um, so... Yeah, we and we're always on the lookout for like new categories. We just started doing DevOps um, leads as well, so we're always on the lookout for new categories. And it just kind of depends on where the market's going and where the demand is. So I would say check it out. If it if you're not sure, just sign up. It's free. You can unsubscribe with one click. And if you're not seeing what you need, um, just shoot me an email. You can reply to any of the emails. Just shoot me an email um, and let me know like what it is you're looking for. Perfect. And no, it's like. Um because I think it's, it goes back to what you said in the very beginning is that one of the reasons that you got to where, where you are now is by kind of just, just hustling is like, like going after the jobs day in, day out. And I've had other guests who, who say the same thing is that so many times you always hear about like kind of the feast or famine in freelancing or in running an agency. And it's because so many times someone gets like, they, they spend all this effort and time to land a, a client. And then once they get it, they just stop everything. And then once the client goes away, they're like, oh, now I need to go do that again. And then they go another month before working. And it's like, no, like you need to be consistent. You need to have systems. You need to put in the time and, and hustle to, to keep your pipeline full. Absolutely. So, I mean, I always, I always, I don't do as much of this kind of um, prospecting stuff just because over the years, like I've built up, I have a lot of inbound lead flow now. Um, but I, in the early days, like I, would estimate like six weeks from the start of like starting to really push to try and get work to when I would actually start working. And, and it could be eight to 10 weeks before like, you know, decent amounts of money would start to flow. Um, and that's, you know, like that's a long time to go, you know, to have like things as a dry spell. So, I mean, my advice for freelancers who are just starting out or who are having trouble getting work is just start hammering every single day. Um, use let's make apps. If we cover like what it is you're looking for. Um, if not just, um, you know, you can do the same thing yourself. It just takes a lot longer, but you know, send out emails every day, like reach out to your network and don't stop. Once you start getting work, just, you may, you may push it down a little bit. You don't have to spend maybe quite as much time on it, but just keep it going as a background process every day. No exceptions. Send out, you know, send out five emails, send out 10 emails, whatever it is. 
and it's once you have work is almost the best time to be doing this because then you have the the ability to kind of be picky. You can say like, ah, you're not a good fit because you don't need to worry about how you're going to pay rent or how you're going to make payroll. And so that's the perfect time to then like, if you're scared about raising rates now, do it then. Like, do it when you know you you have enough work to to get you by. Exactly. You can take all. You can do all kinds of experiments if you know that you have plenty of of inbound lead flow, and that if you lose this job, it's okay. But if you haven't had any work for the last three weeks and you're not sure how you're going to pay rent and you know whatever it is, then the next lead that you get, you're probably going to take, and that's that's a terrible situation to be in. So so get a job and then try and get the next one and charge whatever you want. <laughs> no, exactly. And like, I think it's even more important, especially for agency owners, because they do have that overhead that you talked about. Like if you don't land, if you don't have enough projects to keep everyone busy, you're going to have to fire people. You might not make payroll. And so that's why it's important to be so deliberate and like keep prospecting, keep trying to find more work. Even when it seems like your pipeline is full for months, like that's not an excuse. Like, like you said, you can lighten up, but when you have those overhead, that overhead, you have to do what you need to do to make sure you fill it. Right, absolutely. And so I think, honestly, we covered a ton of different things in this talk, but I think a good way to end this would be to kind of distill it down in a few things and say, say you're talking to someone who started out as a freelancer, they've formed a small agency, I guess you could call it, but it's really just them and a few other people. There's maybe a team of three to five, and they're really at a turning point where they're trying to say, they've realized, like, hey, this isn't what I thought it would be. And so what would you say to them to make the, not necessarily to tell them to definitely go solo, but what things should they be considering so they can make a better decision about which path to kind of go down as agency or solo? I, so I would actually throw one more option in that pile, which is to get a job. Because I don't think that freelance or small business ownership is for everyone by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I would I would take a hard look at yourself and ask a couple of things like one, what are your strengths and weaknesses? And two, like, what do you really want to do? How do you want to spend your time? What do you want to focus on? Because the truth is that if you want to spend your time kind of growing an organization um, and thinking about systems and processes and dealing with the man, like with leadership and with managing people, um, then I think an agency is a great approach. Um, and I think the, the best agencies typically, um, the, the principals are really good at sales and marketing. Like they really understand sales and marketing at kind of a deep level. They understand, um, you know, how to manage a client um, and how, what makes that client tick and how to speak their language. And um, if you don't enjoy that stuff, you better have somebody on, on your, you know, your agency principal team that does um, because that's what you need to be able to do to be successful. I think for freelancers, the same is true, but the stakes are lower um, and also the, you don't have the people management piece, but you still, I think the biggest thing for, for whether or not you should get a job or be a freelancer is how much do you enjoy sales and marketing? Um, one of the most surprising things that I've learned about myself over the last nine years is that I love closing deals. I love it. Um, and I'm actually kind of an introverted person, like by nature. Um, and so I don't think that I would have, ex I didn't expect that about myself, but I love closing deals. It's just the, it's the, the best part of what I do. Um, I love the work and dealing with clients and everything else, but I really enjoy the process of sales in particular. And I didn't know that about myself. And I think that that is a big part of what it takes to be successful as a freelancer. You have to enjoy the hunt. Cause, and that's the thing is that it's not 
all about just delivering the work because the, the clients aren't just going to flock to you right from when you kind of hang up your shingle and say, hey, I'm a freelancer now. So it's, it's that's a good distinction. I like that you added the you could get a job option. The other thing I would say is that the with you know with regard to the agency versus freelancer thing um you know we talked about this but if you're building an agency just for the money um reconsider i think that there are better ways to get to that particular goal i think if you want to build a team you should do it because you love the idea of building a firm and building a team and like having like this thing that maybe could potentially live one day without you um but that's i wouldn't do it just for the money because the majority of agencies are not going to be you know more lucrative than you could you could get by staying solo. So, so Ryan, if people want to kind of hear more about your thoughts on freelancing, on, on running an agency, on staying solo, about any of the stuff, where should they go? Sure. So you can go to letsmakeapps.io slash agency advantage. And I'll put up a special uh, landing page there for the, for the listeners. Um, and they can sign up and get um, just like some weekly articles that I send out about freelancing and, you know, a lot of stuff that would be relevant for agency owners as well. And um, whenever they sign up, I'll also send the guide that you mentioned, which is basically just some of the lessons I've learned over, you know, the last nine years and kind of over my first million dollars in freelancing, you know, the first, the kind of the core lessons I learned over the first five or six years whenever I was still trying to figure this out. Awesome. That'll be perfect. So just want to say thanks again for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. No, my pleasure. I love talking about this stuff. I think this interview came at a really great time because all of my guests so far have shared truly actual strategies that can help any agency grow and become more profitable. But honestly, it can get so overwhelming just thinking about what to do next that we forget to stop and think about why. Why are you growing your team? Is what you're doing today what you want to be doing? Are you working with clients you want to be working with? And are you charging what you think you're worth? These questions are crucial to think about because while it may be exciting to grow quickly, if you don't know where you want to end up, you'll never get there. Staying solo forces you to get creative about how you increase your earnings because you can't just work more hours. But agencies often don't do the hard work of improving their business because it's so easy to just hire another person. Before you make that next hire, make sure your business has the margins you want and that you actually want everything that comes along with running a big agency. You don't have to be huge to earn a great living. That's all for this week. Next week, I'll be back with Ben Lee, who shares how he not only started charging for his pitches with paid roadmapping sessions, but also earns his agency over a million dollars a year just with those roadmapping sessions. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you do me a favor and head over to iTunes to leave a review. Reviews really help our rankings and help us reach a wider audience, so if you could spare just a minute to do that, I'd really appreciate it. All right, talk to you next week. See ya. See ya.